Please do not adjust your set. Yes, believe it or not, this is me. Um, I, I woke up this morning with an interesting voice. Um, I, I probably sound as if I'm dying or something, or as if somebody pretending to be me is dying. Um, I'm fine. I, I have a cold. Um, unbelievably, in the middle of June, I have a cold. Um, so I'm feeling slightly sorry for myself at the moment. I'm not really ill enough that I'm actually ill, but I'm ill enough to moan about it a great deal. So it's probably just as well um, I'm here alone and can can make some tea and um, take some decongestant and some cough medicine. But uh, but I'm not looking for sympathy. Well, all right, maybe a little bit, but um, I just wanted to prove that there are almost no lengths I won't go to to get you your podcast. We've already missed one week. I don't want to have to miss two. But at the moment, it's um, it's only just gone 7am. So um, I, I, I wanted to show you what I started with and we'll see if the voice improves and I'll try recording the rest of this later on this afternoon and uh, and see if my, my uh, throat has decided to uh, sort itself out. Enough of this nonsense. Welcome to Electric Sheep, the knitting podcast from Hoxton Handmade. Episode 10, Colds and Blasphemy. Hello, hello. Thank you very much for listening. Cough medicine is working wonders at this point and I'm feeling slightly more human. Um, I'm also dosed up to the eyeballs, so say no to drugs, except the ones with decongestant and paracetamol in them. I know my mum will be listening to this, so I'd just like to take a moment to say, Mum, I'm fine. Really, I've got chicken soup, I've got tea, I've got loads of stuff in the cupboards, I have fresh fruit. It's all okay, so just, you know, relax. I'm sorry there wasn't a podcast last week. Um, some of you may not even have noticed that, but we did we did skip a week. It was just insanely busy over here in Hoxton, and uh, work was manic, and family stuff was manic, and I just didn't really have the time I wanted. And I didn't want to put up a sort of half-assed episode, so I decided better to leave it than do it poorly. Um, but this week, fear not, we have a bumper episode for you. I'm also aware of the fact that today is UK Ravelry Day with um, a big event going on in Coventry, which sadly I couldn't go to. But I hope everyone's having a fantastic time. I assume it means I'm pretty much talking to myself at this point. Um, but I hope you have a chance to catch up with a few electric sheep as you return home from your knitting adventures. We look forward to hearing all about it. It's come to my attention that not everyone online is feeling the love right now about the knitting. So... We're going to have a little chat about the positive and negative uh, viewpoints flying around out there as we return once more to the electric sheep. Recently, the sun has been shining, the skies have been blue, but judging from a few recent online activities, not everyone has been seeing the sunny side of life. The first sign of discontent struck me over on Ravelry, where there was a thread in the forum inviting people to speak aloud their knitting blasphemies. The things knitters should, apparently, never say or never admit, or confessing knitterly things that drive you crazy. There has been a staggering response. 
over 1,700 comments the last time I looked. Knitters who have no love of knitting baby clothes or socks. Who detest Elizabeth Zimmerman and her writing tone. Who never swatch. Knitters who love acrylic and plastic needles and fun fur yarn. Knitters who aren't fans of so-called celebrity figures, like the yarn harlot. Knitters who are not enamoured of Noro. And, inevitably, knitters who do not like podcasts. Yes, indeed, it seems that humble folk like me are indulging in a spot of excessive navel-gazing. Half the time we can't even speak properly, we spit and gurgle and swallow, our accents drive everyone to distraction, and we um and ah beyond what is acceptable to civilised ears. We don't talk about knitting or techniques or technical detail enough, and even if we did, what's the point if they can't see what we're doing? And these were the people who never listen to podcasts. God only knows what complaints the subscribers are harbouring. Of course, I'm being a little facetious at this point. The thread did induce a minor bout of paranoia, but it was short-lived, and I was reassured by the very lovely messages some of you are kind enough to send me. Fortunately, I do not have enough subscribers to cause much of a stir in such a discussion. Plenty of people loved the thread and said it made them laugh out loud. Many ravellers were simply getting something off their chest, releasing a long-held grudge, and I can understand people letting off a little steam and not taking it all too seriously. A lot of the comments were humorous, or simply pointing out that not everyone does things the same way, or that it's really okay if you don't want to knit socks. Nevertheless, I was taken aback by the tone of some additions to the debate, which were quite personal, attacking writers, designers or podcasters for their style, their sense of humour, their success. All I could think was, no one is forcing you to listen to their podcast or read their blog or knit their pattern. I don't knit socks, but I have nothing against those who do, and I can appreciate why some people might like them. It seemed odd to me to complain about the existence of something you don't participate in. Most sports mystify me, largely because I am terrible at every single one of them and possess all the strength and physical dexterity of an asthmatic woodlouse. Throw me in a swimming pool and I won't drown, insist on a game of badminton, frisbee or possibly even rounders in the park on a Saturday afternoon and I'll happily run around with everyone else. Send me into a Pilates class and I'll be delighted as it works wonders on my back pain. But that's the extent of my sporting abilities and interests. Cricket baffles me. An entire day sport where, as far as I can tell, nothing happens. Football just annoys me on principle and for being responsible for creating the wag. Rugby is quite entertaining for waiting to see who'll be next to be rendered unconscious or lose an ear or something. But by and large, I just don't get it. Well, I understand the appeal, I just don't feel it myself. Thankfully, the single greatest thing about leaving school is that I have never again had to participate in a sporting activity against my will. So it's not something I tend to get worked up about. But whatever my antipathy towards, say, rugby, I don't think that the people who play it are stupid. I think it's possible they have a death wish or an unhealthy affection for concussion, but as far as I'm concerned, go, enjoy a match, watch the snooker on TV, play a round of golf. Just don't expect me to join in and we'll all be happy. We all have gripes and bugbears it's fun to sound off about, and nothing wrong with that. 
but it's all too easy to slip from a little jocular teasing and a harmless moan to a full-on attack, as I discovered over on the Yarn Harlot's blog. This second incident involved her infamous sock summit. I confess that since I don't knit socks and don't live in Canada or the States, I had managed to bypass all mention of this event. For others who may not have come across it, this is a celebration of socks and the knitting thereof. It has workshops and talks and classes and the legendary Barbara Walker and, naturally, a limited number of places. When tickets went on sale last week, their server was hit by 30,000 people in one go. That's a lot of knitters. And, of course, a lot of them couldn't get tickets. Not only because the server went down, but because you can't fit 30,000 people into an event that only has room for 5,000. As we've discussed before, my math skills are poor, but even I can work out that one. So there are a lot of disappointed knitters out there. More than that, there are a lot of angry knitters who feel they've been cheated out of their ticket because the server crashed, or because the yarn harlot, violent, cruel dictator that we know her to be, clearly has it in for them. And yes, that was a joke before anyone starts writing to me. Something I should mention, because there are some mean knitters out there. Knitters who've written what can only be described as hate mail to people organising a sock summit. I'm going to say that again, since in the face of some pretty stiff competition, it's possibly the most ridiculous thing I have ever said out loud. Hate mail to people organising a sock summit. As a sage friend pointed out, these two events simply prove the obvious fact that knitters are no different to everyone else. There are all sorts of people in the world, and if you have a whole bunch of them together, some are going to be more negative or outspoken than others. But the internet changes things. The internet provides a cloak of anonymity you can't wear in person. Face to face, I can't imagine the majority of people calling Stephanie Pearl McPhee names or insulting her and accusing her with such vehemence. But sending an email is different. We can be cowardly under the protection of a faceless computer screen. Trolls abound on the boards of any online forum, whatever the topic. But given that people rarely post or email these kind of comments under their own name, it shows we must realise there's something wrong in doing it. Or even if we think we're right, that others may take issue with our views. Also, we don't think in front of computer screens, not really. How many times have you hit reply all on an email by mistake? Or forwarded something without deleting the first bit at the bottom which you really didn't want the next person to see? Or emailed the wrong John from your email address book? Or hit reply and shot back a terse response to something irritating when, really, you should have taken a quiet moment to go and have a cup of tea? Tea, of course, being a remarkable antidote to all kinds of overreactions, panics, stresses and technological malfunctions. And yes, obviously, I have done all of the above several times over. The Ravelry thread was no doubt meant as a light-hearted post. I imagine that most of those contributing did so with good humour and no ill intention, perhaps venting a little steam over something someone else has hassled them about. We know there are, knit there are knitters out there who profess incomprehension that you don't knit socks, or who are evangelical about the superiority of DPNs to the magic loop, or who transform into the knitting Gestapo if you deviate from their golden rules and attempt to pattern without a swatch first. And it can be a relief to tell them collectively to get lost and stop bothering you. 
But, as Arthur Miller brilliantly depicted in The Crucible, excuse me while I crowbar in that literary reference, people act differently en masse than they do individually. Whether it's witch trials or swine flu or MPs' expenses or Susan Boyle, we can get caught up in all the hysteria and overreact. Studies have shown that the so-called wisdom of crowds causes all sorts of effects. Like the way a group of pedestrians waiting for the lights to change will cross the street on a red light once one person starts to confidently stride over the road. Our brains find safety in numbers, and the first person's actions effectively give the rest of them permission. We are bovine-like in our responses sometimes, following the herd quite literally. James Sirowicki's book, The Wisdom of Crowds, examines this idea in greater detail, although with a rather more positive spin. That if you take the average opinion from a wide group of independent thinkers, you'll get the most accurate response or prediction. What's interesting is that the accuracy and efficiency of this process breaks down once the participants become aware of each other's responses. Asked a question alone, we may respond confidently, but asked a question in front of many others being asked the same question, and we may doubt ourselves, debating whether or not those around us are better informed or smarter, and recalibrate our answers accordingly. Overall, this leads to certain views that are either louder or considered more expert, gaining greater weight than others, and the final result is skewed. The internet is remarkable for the way it can gather information and views from a staggeringly high number of people in one place. But like any application, it has its pros and cons. We all get cranky. We're all annoyed by things, particularly technological things. We all want to join in with our opinions, to make our grievances known and assert our own importance in the world. All entirely natural. But reducing kindly knitters to tears seems to be taking this a little far. All this has put me in mind of something from my childhood. A well-known and admittedly somewhat cliched piece of advice that used to hang on the wall at home. I'm sure you know it. The Desiderata by Max Ehrman. The one that begins, Go placidly amid the noise and haste, and remember what peace there may be in silence. As far as possible without surrender, be on good terms with all persons. Speak your truth quietly and clearly, and listen to others, even to the dull and ignorant. They too have their story. At home, from the anonymity and seclusion of our computer screens, we can get caught up in all the voices around us clamouring for attention and perhaps lose perspective. These issues aren't the end of the world. Whether or not you listen to a podcast or go to a sock summit will not bring about Armageddon, although it would be an interesting theological development if they did. How you knit, why you knit, what you knit, and what you may or may not listen to while you do it are entirely up to you. Just enjoy it. So, nittily things of note that have been spotted online recently. Um, one which I wanted to bring to your attention, in case you haven't already seen it, is with uh, Stitch and Bitch London. And they are organising a fantastic event, a knit crawl. Um, and this is something they've done for a couple of years. Uh, it's a charity crawl around London. 
Um, this year, it's for uh, prostate cancer. They, they always do it for cancer research, but in the past, it's been for more sort of female cancers, you know, breast cancer and so on. And so they decided this time it's the turn of the boys, which I think is very good, you know, equality and all. So um, this will be on Saturday the 13th of June at midday. Um, they will take to the streets of London with their knitting and they're going to go to four iconic London sites. Um, they're going to be at Tower Bridge, Tate Modern, the London Eye and Trafalgar Square. After which they'll all be off for some beer, wine and cake in a nearby pub. So it sounds like an excellent day to me. Um, and if you've ever been nervous of knitting in public or anything like that, it's a great opportunity to give it a go with lots of other knitters. You know, you won't be alone. Um, and uh, I think it should make quite the sight, not least because um, given the manlier theme they've been going for this year, they've decided that um, they'd also like to have a, a, a sort of uh, moustache off as it were. So obviously, if you're a man, you're encouraged to grow your own. Um, but girls who are slightly disadvantaged in this area, quite simple, simply knit one. Um, so they're going to be, I think the Stitchettes, who run Stitch and Bitch London, are currently working on patterns and so on for um, uh, knitted moustaches and knitted facial wear. Um, and you can buy the pattern for a donation to the prostate cancer charity. Um, the event itself is completely free. You don't need to sign up, you just need to go along. Um, and as I say, if you want to pay for the moustache pattern or if you want to donate some money to the prostate cancer charity, then that would be very welcome, but you don't have to pay anything. So it's purely a charity event and a bit of fun. And I think it sounds like a great idea. Um, I'm certainly going to try and go along myself. Um, it combines so many wonderful things. And I think it's great to get some knitting in public underway and um, at some, some key wonderful sites in London. Hopefully the weather will be good. And, um, and you know, you can enjoy those tourist spots, especially if you live in London, you all too often ignore. And, um, you know, several of them are all down by the river, on the south bank, and, you know, it's really very pleasant hanging out around there for an afternoon, providing it doesn't rain. Um, but uh, I think it sounds great. You don't even have to knit if you don't want to. Bring along friends, you know, go along somebody else, come for the whole day or just for a bit. Um, so if you can drop by, then I highly recommend. Um, there's information on Ravelry and on the Stitch and Bitch website. I'll put up some links on the blog so you can find it if you're looking for it. Continuing with quirky sites online, um, I can highly recommend one that was brought to my attention by The Guardian, um, which you may have come across already, perhaps. I think it's been going for about a year, um, which is a blog called Advanced Style. And it's run by um, Ari Cohen in New York. And it's a bit similar to The Sartorialist, where they photograph people on the street whose outfit they admire. The twist here is that it's done with... Ladies and gentlemen of a certain age, basically proving that, you know, people we may consider elderly are actually often rather dapper and have the best fashion sense of everyone and are rather more adventurous and stylish than um, the rest of us who can be quite boring. And um, the, the Guardian has nine examples from the blog, or you can look at the blog itself. And they're wonderful. They've got a marvellous looking gentleman here with a white moustache and uh, a dark beret and a red bow tie. Um, looking very smart, quite sort of channeling that Parisian view, I felt. Um, another, we have um, a, a fabulous lady who is, I believe, a designer herself, who wears nothing but green every day, all day. She even dyes things to match her rucksack, 
her Nike shoes, doesn't matter what it is, her underwear, it's got to be green. So slightly eccentric, fortunately, it's a color that suits her. But um, yeah, so she is a, um, a very green, but very smart looking lady. There's a very cool looking lady, again, with white hair. And she does look quite, I mean, she must be, I'm entirely guessing here, but she, I'd say late 60s, 70, cropped white hair, um, shades, and she's wearing trainers with black tracksuit bottoms and then a very kind of cool uh, yellow jacket. Um, and, uh, and it's the way she's standing, though. She is so posing. Like, I mean, in the paper calls it the Michael Jackson meets Morrissey look. And there is something in that, but I just love the look she's giving the camera. It is wonderful. She is just way too cool to uh, to even notice what else is going on. Um, some other fantastic examples. Um, some seriously cool shades from a lot of these people, actually. Glitter jackets, coloured gloves. It's wonderfully eccentric, some of them. There's another beret uh, with a very smart white suit. I love how the beret is in a, a checked material that matches his shirt. Um, so particularly coordinated there. Um, there's another very smart lady who has a wonderfully fur-edged collar, but is wearing some extraordinary trousers um, that are, are sort of tied at the bottom and then bunched up. So they're a bit like those um, harem pants, but in different fabric or with a different, it's, they've sort of been tightened at the bottom with a cord. Um, but again, they just look very individual, very cool. And again, she's got this wonderful look on her face as if I do not care what you think of how I look. You know, they're obviously not dressing this way to, to please anybody or to impress anybody. It's purely their own individual style. And um, it comes through so well. It's great fun to see people enjoying fashion at whatever age. And there's another lady who, as the uh, paper points out, is very kind of Vivian Westwood-esque. She has a shaved head, uh, shades, and this amazing um, black and white, very fitted sort of bodysuit, um, and some killer heels and a big handbag. And it's just, it's kind of outrageous. It looks great. But I think you so often think that come a certain age, everybody dresses in either tweeds or that very kind of shapeless, baggy clothing, um, sort of ubiquitous to everybody, and, and just shades of beige. And it all gets quite boring and quite tedious, as if you can't participate in fashion after a certain point, which is ridiculous, of course. But it's wonderful to see these people who um, are just, you know, do not care, and, uh, and who are just purely doing it for the fun of it. So good for them. Another thing I've spotted online that's worth a giggle over your cup of tea, perhaps, um, is a, a YouTube video somebody has made that is uh, claims to be the 100 greatest movie lines in 200 seconds. And uh, I'm sure you could debate till kingdom come about what should be in that top 100. But um, having had a watch of it myself, I can say I think they've got in most of them. There's an awful lot of classics in there. And it's one of those fun things where when you're watching it, you're just reminded of dozens of films where you suddenly think, oh, I must go and watch that again. Or why have I still never seen Apocalypse Now or whatever it may be. So um, it's quite good if you just want to rustle up a quick list of um, films to see before you die sort of thing. Um, it's got some great clips in there and uh, a lot of fun to watch. If you live in the UK, another date for your diary is the 19th of July, um, which is the day of the big lunch. Um, you may not have come across this, but and I'm not quite sure where it's come from, but um, it's something that people are organising themselves. There isn't a sort of central point. Um, but it's basically the idea that on the 19th of July, we should all try and have lunch with our neighbours in a sort of have a picnic or a street party 
and get together with the people who live on your road and have lunch with them. Um, which I think is a lovely idea. It's quite sweet. It's that sort of, you know, V-Day thing of everybody having this huge street party and trying to revive some of that and saying how nowadays, you know, we, we half the time we don't even know who it is we're living next to. We can even tell you their names, let alone be friends with them. And um, trying to rebuild that sense of community. So the people who have put this idea together and sort of built up a very nice website and lots of ideas and things on there, um, just thought it would be great to have a day where people all over could try and get together and organise these lunches um, to try and, and rebuild that sense of community and, and bring back a little bit of that neighbourhood spirit, um, which is a lovely idea. I mean, I'm not sure how well it's going to work or how many people are participating. I suppose it's something that's quite useful if it's done as well through, I don't know, if schools decide to get in on it or something, or if you live in a... In, um, on the kind of road where it's quite easy to sort of get information to people or invite them or something. And I imagine on estates and things, it's um, it's a bit easier to organise as well. But uh, it's a lovely idea, I thought. And again, something that, although in this instance, you know, they've organised it, it's for the UK. But there's no reason why you couldn't try and replicate this in your local area or in your city or in your state or whatever. Um, it is a great idea. There's something to be said for knowing who you live with. I myself have to confess, I only know one set of my neighbours. I know the people who live in one of the flats next to me. And jolly nice they are too. And, and we're relatively friendly. I know their names and we say hello and have a chat. And, you know, sort of, um, they've come round a couple of times. You know, it's all perfectly pleasant. But we're not sort of bosom buddies. But at least I know who they are, who they are which I'm quite proud of. But that's it. I can't really claim to know anybody else. And I live in a, in a block with 60 flats in total. So I've got a lot of neighbours and uh, Lord knows I hear them a lot. But, um, you know, there's something to be said for making a bit more effort to get to know them better. But to uh, round off with something a little more knittily, um, I thought it'd be nice to take a look at some patterns. Um, I noticed that the summer edition of Knitty still hasn't come out, um, which is a shame. I always think it's tricky. It takes a long time to knit these things. So it's a shame that the patterns don't come out until the point when you'd actually like to have finished something. It's sort of slightly off sometimes, isn't it? But um, but I did spot that the Twist Collective have their summer magazine is now out. And um, I thought it'd be nice to have a look at that. Um, I'm skipping part. They've got an article on socks and some sock patterns. I'm skipping past them. You know people, I don't do socks. But um, having a look at some of the other patterns... Um, there's Bernhardt, which is um, a very nice looking, actually just really comfy, slouchy cardigan that doesn't have any ties. It's just loose at the front, but with, you know, long, loose sleeves. And it's not shapeless or anything, but it's just one of those lounging sweaters that just has a pretty um, sort of twisted border and uh, cuffs. And um, and then the rest just in, in plain stockinette. And I just think it's one of those things that probably doesn't look that exciting to knit, but probably you'd wear it with everything. It would just be incredibly useful. Um, so I liked the look of that. I think in a nice, soft, cosy yarn. Although not really necessarily a summer number. It looks more wintry to me that you'd cosy up on the sofa with it. But I suppose it depends what yarn you knit it from. Um, they have a, a very nice uh, lace panelled vest. I never really knit vests. I just can't really imagine when I'd wear them. The same goes for the next pattern, Petal, which is a knitted skirt. And again, just knitted skirts, I'm not entirely convinced. I don't know why. I suppose I assume that they'd stretch or that they might not fit very well or that it would be very heavy or something. But, um, I mean, this one looks perfectly sweet. It's quite a plain um, 
plain one with some vertical details that give it a sort of um, pleated effect. Um, but it's pink, which I automatically find slightly off-putting. I know you could do it in another colour, but not really convinced. Um, Aphrodite is a, a, a very pretty shawl, which again, I'm just buzzing right on past, because they look lovely, but when would I ever wear them? Really? You know, that's just not really... That's the kind of thing that um that that, that I, I I tend to, to use very much. Um, they have an article on on swatching. Um, hot topic, obviously, and um, you know, to swatch or not to swatch, hotly contested. I have to say, I don't swatch. Please don't kill me. I know I should. I do sort of. I make a half-hearted attempt if I'm using a different yarn or something, you know, I might do an inch or two and just check that it's not wildly off. But I don't really pay that much attention, I have to say. Um, next up, they have Sundog, which is a really sweet children's jumper. Um, it's a yoke sweater um, and uh, just done in stockinette for the most part. But the cuffs, the hem and the yoke itself are done in um, in a striped pattern. And in, in the picture they have here with a little girl, it's in green and pink, mostly. And um, yeah, just really simple, but um, really quite sweet, and I think probably quite useful. Um, and I suppose here it's been done in, in cotton, but you could easily do it in wool, and it would be, you know, an autumn or a winter sweater. Um, Another children's sweater, Dizzy, is making me feel quite dizzy because it's in a, a vertical pattern with variegated yarn and it looks slightly um, a sort of strobing effect, which I think if you gave it to somebody, you know, just wherever this poor child went, they'd be causing blindness, seizures, who knows what, you know, you'd just be spinning with dizziness. Um, so not hugely enamoured of that one. Um, Mr. Boy is quite controversial because they've done um, a father and son combo. You know those 70s knitting books that, you know, we delight in, in making such fun of? And they're full of these kind of patterns, this kind of little and large. You know, you've got dad with his pipe and uh, his tweed trousers and then this hideous argyle jumper and some poor little five-year-old in a miniature version of it. Um, and they've done that here, obviously not with a hideous jumper. Um, it's a sort of interestingly constructed um, uh, stretchy rib jumper. But I'm still not convinced by the whole kitting your kids out in the same jumper you have. I mean, you wouldn't have to wear them on the same day together, I assume. But I'm, I don't know. It just, it does look a bit peculiar. And the construction on this is a bit odd around the underarms, actually, the way the sleeves join to the body. I'm not really convinced it, it looks quite right. I don't know. Pop Rock is a very sweet knitted dress for a little girl. It's quite, I don't know anybody who I could knit that for, so I'm, I'm sort of moving on. Um, Niles and Cleo, fabulously named, are these wonderful crocodiles that come with their own sweaters. This little um, knitted pair of, of cuddly toys um, that, that you can then dress, which is rather sweet. Um, Again, not quite sure who I'd knit that for. And those things always look so fiddly to me. They must take forever to do all the, the legs, the tails, you know, sew it all up. Um, so probably not one I'll be adding to my queue immediately. They've then got some uh, wonderful um, drawings and cartoons done by Franklin Habit, who you may know from his Panopticon blog. Um, this is, he's a wonderful cartoonist and he does some very funny, great cartoons about knitting. Um, he did the book called It Itches, um, which is all knitting cartoons, um, which were very funny. 
And so he's done sort of 12 little sketches here, um, which are very fun. Uh, next up, ooh, ooh, oh, I can't even pronounce this now. Uhura, I think. Oh, that's quite tricky. I don't know why I'm having such problems saying that. But anyway, U-H-U-R-A. It reminds me a bit of what the, the sort of proper Aboriginal word for, for, um, for Ayers Rock is. Or is that Uhuru? I'm never quite sure. But anyway, this is a red tank top with um, a lace panel at the back and onto the front, which again is very pretty, actually. It's a slightly more appealing as tank tops go. At least it's got an interesting stitch pattern has been used in there. Um, Lurido is a man's vest, uh, sort of sweater vest, um, which again has some nice vertical panels with some interesting... Um, uh, it sort of looks like cabling, but it's not cabling. You know, it's where you're just um, sort of moving... Um, a line of what I think might be twisted stitches over to make a sort of cable equivalent. It's hard to explain. You need to look at the picture. Um, but it's just a nice sort of textured um, uh, textured vest, sort of quite understated. So that might be good if you're looking for, for a man's uh, summer pattern. Um, there's some fingerless gloves, which are very nice, but I'd never think of wearing fingerless gloves in the summer. I mean, even in, in cotton, although these have actually been done in wool. Um, which I just think is quite a curious pattern choice for a summer magazine. But you never know. I suppose if you get chilly of a summer evening, you could pull them on. But quite curious. Um, there's then more socks. So skipping past the socks, past the socks. They look very nice. Quite complicated, lacy pattern. Um, but I'm just, I'm, I'm turning the page. We then come to another shawl with a, what looks like a very complicated lace pattern. Again, it's lovely. It's charming but just not something I'm going to be knitting, let's face it. Ashbury is um, very pretty. This is a three-quarter sleeve cardigan. But again, actually, it's this weird sort of epidemic lately of those swing cardigans. It's the same sort of shape as the February lady sweater. And it's just got that single button at the top of, you know, at the neck. A big round wide um, uh, round neck. And um, these three-quarter sleeves. And then it's just got a textured pattern across the top half of the garment. And then these quite wide swing sleeves. So it's all right. I imagine it'll be very popular. But I'm slightly bored of seeing that shape now. And I'm not, it's not really a shape that um, suits me particularly. So I don't tend to, to knit it myself. So there you are. I think that's pretty much the patterns, at any rate, that are in the new issue of Twist Collective. Um, they've also got some articles on... Um, yarns and on um, dyeing techniques and things so it's worth looking at it in more detail for the articles as well as the patterns of course um, but it's the same problem I always come across I often am underwhelmed by summer knitting patterns um, they just don't really inspire me so I have to say slightly disappointed I like Twist Collective a lot but nothing there that I myself will probably be adding to my queue but always interesting to see what they've come up with I think that's all we have time for this week. Um, thankfully, my voice has lasted this long, so I better go before it gives out. I'm glad it's evened up a little now. I'm sorry if at the beginning my sound equipment couldn't really handle the change in pitch. So I hope that didn't lessen your enjoyment of the show. But thank you very much for listening, as ever. Um, do drop me a line, hoxtonhandmade at gmail.com. If you have any feedback, comments or questions, um, I'm Hoxton Handmade on Twitter and Hoxton on Ravelry. So do feel free to hunt me down in a non-stalker-like fashion, please. And uh, I will look forward to speaking to you again next week. 